My goodness, it's good to see you. Whether you're here in the building in person with us, joining us during the second service, or perhaps you're online watching for one reason or another, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being a part of Sailorville Church this morning. I was outside yesterday helping my neighbors shovel snow a little bit, and one of them is sort of brand new to our neighborhood. They said, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I'm a pastor at Sailorville Church, and they started to ask about that. I said, hang on, hang on. I love being a pastor, but more than that, I just like Sailorville Church. I just like being a part of this church. And I hope that that's you this morning, whether you're here in the building or you're uh, participating online as well. Thank you so much for being a part of what God is doing here. And uh, we've got an exciting morning here this, uh, this day and then as we kick off our Christmas season together. I was outside yesterday playing in the snow and just a little bit nostalgic thinking about what it was like to be a kid at Christmas. Do you ever, if you're an adult, you ever think about that? Now, my back hurts from shoveling snow. That never used to happen when I was a kid. But I was reminded of this whole idea of anticipation, of looking forward to, like as kids, it's mostly the presents, right? So on Christmas morning, I'm the oldest of four kids in our family. I don't know what time it was, but every single Christmas morning, I would wake up when it was still dark. I'd go around and wake up my two sisters and my brother from their rooms, and we'd run together through the hallway into my parents' room, and we'd just jump on the bed. It's Christmas! It's Christmas! You know, And I don't know what time it was, but my parents were so gracious, they'd roll over, get out of bed, and we'd go and uh, celebrate Christmas Day together. And uh, my goodness, we just waited and waited and waited. We had great expectations for Christmas. And it's finally here. Christmas season is finally, as the song says, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, isn't it? My goodness, it's been a long year. I don't know about you, but it seems like we've been waiting for Christmas for more than a year, haven't we? (laughs) It's almost like 2020 has lasted a lot longer than 12 months. There's a part of me that just kept saying all year, if we can just make it to Christmas, everything will be okay. (laughs) Maybe you've had one of those years. There's something special about Christmas though, right? Not just Christmas Day itself, but the whole lead up to December 25th is about anticipation. It's about that feeling that you get when you put up the Christmas lights, which in the Jackson household is the day after Halloween, right? It's that feeling that your family gets when you put up the Christmas tree and the ornaments, which in the Jackson house is the day after Halloween. It's that feeling that you get when you sing along with the Christmas carols on the radio or in your house, and in the Jackson house, that's the day after Halloween when that all starts. It's the Christmas feeling. It's the anticipation for the the car and the food and the family and the gifts and the friends and the memories and the traditions. There's just so much that we look forward to when it comes to Christmas. In fact, I think one of the reasons this is such a special time of year is this sense of great expectation, waiting with anticipation, waiting with anticipation. So this morning, we're starting our Advent series, which really culminates, as Andrew said, in our Christmas Eve services, and it's all about anticipation. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the word Advent really encapsulates this whole idea of waiting for something great to arrive. It's really about something coming that we've been waiting for. And what is it that we're waiting for? Well, this anticipation It's all about something or someone, 
And that's what we're going to be reminded of this morning and next week and throughout this Advent series. And so today, if you're here in the building or listening online, we're going to travel back to about 700 B.C. And we're jumping into the middle of a story told by the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. Isaiah had the the blessing and the burden, really, of being commissioned by God to speak truth, God's words, to the divided kingdom of Israel and Judah. Now, I say blessing and burden because, really, as a prophet, Isaiah's job was to tell the truth. And here's the truth. Obedience leads to blessing, and disobedience would lead to judgment. And so God's words through Isaiah in the Old Testament were either encouraging, on the one hand, to those who were obeying God's laws, or, on the other hand, discouraging to those who were ignoring them or outright disobeying the truth. And that's kind of what's happening in the book of Isaiah as we jump into this story. The prophet was commissioned to tell the truth to the nation of Judah and its evil king, Ahaz. Now, King Ahaz was sort of like the Grinch of the day, right? He was evil. He didn't want to have anything to do with God. And the, the, the nation of Judah and, and King Ahaz himself, their response to the truth reveals a whole lot about their relationship with the God of truth. I'll say that again. Their response to the truth reveals a whole lot about their relationship with the God of truth. And that's true for us today too, isn't it? The way we respond to God's word, God's truth, reveals a whole lot about how our relationship with the God of truth really is. If you have a great relationship with him, you're willing to respond and eager to respond to the truth. If you are far from God for one reason or another, when you hear truth often, you don't want to have anything to do with it. And so as a 20-something-year-old king, Ahaz was faced with a series of serious national crises. The Old Testament nation of Judah was threatened from the inside by a spiritual sickness, a rot, really, called apathy. And then from the outside by a host of physical enemies like the nation of Assyria that was flooding Judah's borders like a torrent. The people of Judah were in a desperate place. They were joyless, peaceless, and hopeless. And although they had put themselves in that position, they needed to hear from God and then respond to God in a right way. Now listen, since the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3, they had been waiting, waiting for the promised one who would one day come and crush the enemy. They'd been waiting, anticipating expecting the great snake crusher, the rescuer, what they would call the Messiah. And by the way, Jewish people are still waiting for the most part for that Messiah to come, aren't they? Isaiah was sent into this desperate hour to remind King Ahaz of God's truth. And this truth came, remember, in the form of encouragements and warnings. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 9, God confronts Ahaz with this strong truth. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Write that down. Highlight that. Take note of this. If you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. It's true for us today, right? In fact, King Ahaz, if you don't stand firm, you'll fall quickly. 
Now, why would he need this kind of encouragement? Well, just a few verses earlier, we find out why he needed this challenge from God. Verse 2 tells us that in the face of an enemy attack, get this, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. Listen to this. One author I read this last week said this, In times of waiting, you can either stand in faith or shake in fear. In times of waiting, you can either stand in faith or shake in fear. Isn't that just so true for us today too? I hope that in your waiting, whatever it is you're waiting for, that you are standing in faith and not shaking in fear. And there's a reason we can do that. We'll uncover it here this morning. So the shadows of a growing despair and a deep gloom really are descending on the nation of Judah. And Ahaz and the majority of his people had ignored God's truth. And so God handed them over to their sin and to their enemies. It was a time of darkness, of frustration, of confusion, anger, and, and even hopelessness. I wonder if you can relate this morning. If you were to describe this last year in a word or two, would those words include words like frustrating, overwhelming at times, maybe a little dark sometimes, discouraging? Maybe you would even use the word hopeless to describe certain aspects of this last year. It's probably an understatement to say that this has been an unusually difficult year for most of us listening today. Our cell group met virtually this last week, which, by the way, is not ideal, right? But praise the Lord for the internet. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm glad if I never have another Zoom meeting for the rest of my life. I'm tired of them. But it's better than nothing when it comes to connecting with people, right? It's not scratch and sniff. I mean, you can't touch anybody. You're not actually eyeball to eyeball with people. But you can connect with people thanks to the internet. But anyway, we were talking about how everybody's doing, and at one stage I paused and I looked at at that screen, and I I looked into everybody's eyes as much as I could, and I said, no, but how are you really doing, right? And you can have those kinds of conversations with your cell group. And there was a long silence, which also is not that uncommon on Zoom, but then one of our ladies spoke up and she said, we're just trusting God for one day at a time. We're just trusting God for just one day at a time. And it just struck me in that moment, she's really speaking for all of us in that group, and maybe even for all of us that are here this morning. We're just trusting God for one day at a time. Now, there's a shift in our storyline this morning as we look at our text. And when we get to Isaiah chapter 9, right in the middle of describing God's judgments in chapter 7 and then 8 on the nation of Judah, the Holy Spirit gives Isaiah a crystal clear look into the future. And so suddenly, the prophet sees the future that God will bring. And the, and the contrasts to the present gloom in Judah are so fantastic and so beautiful and so amazing that you can hardly read the text without breaking out into the hallelujah chorus from Handel's Messiah, which comes straight from this exact passage in Isaiah chapter 9. As if the future is happening right now, God speaks through Isaiah and says this starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness. Now listen to this as someone from the nation of Judah. 
The people who walked in darkness, that's us, have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. Nation of Judah might have responded this way, Lord, we've waited for so long. We have anticipated. We've endured. That light that once burned so bright is now just a tiny flicker. The darkness, Lord, the darkness that we're living in seems so deep. It's overwhelming. It's draining. It's discouraging. Show us, God, this light that you've promised. Send us that light. And so God, through Isaiah, says this. Instead of darkness and doom, I'm promising light and life. It goes on in verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, and they are glad when they divide the spoil. Isaiah peers into this God-given vision, and he describes a scene in which the nation isn't living in darkness anymore, isn't consumed by doom, but is thriving. There's growth. There's joy. There's a full harvest. In fact, there's victory, and there's dividing the spoils of victory so that everybody has something to share. Instead of sadness and struggle, the Lord is promising overflowing gladness and joy. Listen, nation of Judah, this is an amazing promise. And verse 4, the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as in the day of Midian. Oh my goodness, the symbols of slavery and oppression, they've been broken just like they were when Gideon, remember Gideon in the Old Testament, defeated the army of Midian with just a couple soldiers. Remember that story? That's how it's going to be again, Isaiah says, as he speaks the truth of the word of God. Instead of shame and defeat, the Lord promises shouts of victory. And he continues in verse 5, he says, For every boot of the trampling warrior, just close your eyes and get this into your mind's image this morning. Every boot of the trampling warrior, the soldiers that once went off to battle, their boots marching together. And every garment rolled in blood as they returned from the bloody battle. That equipment of war, those uniforms of battle, they'd be burned as fuel for the fire. Those bloody, battle-soaked, worn uniforms of war, they won't be needed anymore. Just throw that stuff in the fire as fuel. Instead of the constant fighting, the Lord promises freedom. And just listen to this as a nation of Judah. How, God, How is this happening? How is this promise going to come true? Who is this hero that brings this peace? Lord, please tell me his name. I have great expectation. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And some of you are waiting right now. You're anticipating. You have great expectations. You're waiting for that perfect Christmas celebration with your family, right? I know you are. You're waiting for a clean bill of health. Maybe you're waiting for the perfect ideal political climate. (laughs) You're waiting for that relationship or that job or that house or that spouse or that baby. You're waiting for the day when you can walk into Target without wearing a mask. Yes, it's coming. One day, 
You're waiting when we can all gather back together on Sunday mornings and sing and laugh and cry and hug and get coffee and donuts in the coffee cove and drive around for 10 minutes before this service looking for a parking spot. You're waiting for that day to come back, aren't you? Great anticipation. We expect it. We're waiting. But sometimes waiting is hard, right? When things get dark or discouraging, whether we're living in sin or simply responding to the suffering that God has allowed in our lives, when you're tired and poured out, when you're confused and you can't see through the fog, when it's easier to shake in fear than stand in faith, there is hope. Capital H O. P-E, hope. And that hope isn't just an out there kind of hope. It's not just a someday, somewhere sort of hope. It's not just a put your head down and fight through this kind of hope. It's the kind of hope that doesn't come from a cure for a global pandemic or a paycheck to get you through next week. It's the kind of hope that doesn't come from a full church building or the perfect family Christmas. Real hope doesn't ever let you go. It won't ever disappoint. It will never push you away. Real hope never gives up. Real hope is here yesterday, today, and forever. And you say, where can I find that hope? Well, you can't buy it on Amazon. Or else I would have bought it already. (laughs) Not wrapped up under your tree. And it's a whole lot better than anything on your wish list. Because that hope is not a thing. That hope is found in a person. And that person has a name and this is what he's called catch it wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father and this hope is called the prince of peace oh my goodness i'll never forget the first time that i held our son judah in the hospital room I couldn't believe I was actually holding him. We'd waited for what seemed like a lifetime, anticipating his arrival. And now his tiny little body was all smooshed up in my huge hands. Couldn't get enough of him. I wanted to announce his arrival to the entire world. And so I did the Lion King thing. Finally, here is my son! Every dad's done that, right? Probably way too early in your kid's life. You shouldn't ever shake your kid and hold him up in front of people like that. I was so pumped to announce Judah's birth to everybody. I wanted everybody to know, here he is, finally. And so God, through the prophet Isaiah, kind of like a proud parent, draws back the curtain on the future and announces the birth of hope in the body of a baby, his son, Jesus. Look at how he announces him. Verse 6, for to us... A child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it 
than to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Highlight, circle, underline this phrase, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God says, you can bank on it. This is going to happen because my zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to make this happen. And if God says it's going to happen, guess what? It's going to happen. God's hope for the hopeless, his joy for the joyless, his peace for the poured out and weary. Maybe we're nodding our heads on this one. It's a baby. It's a child. Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And this Christmas 2020, which maybe for some of you has been one of the hardest on record, there's a reason for hope, and his name is Wonderful Counselor. Now catch this, literally, that name means he is a wonder of a counselor. He's marvelous. He's extraordinary. His counsel is beyond anything of this world. Listen, his capacity to handle your problems, to heal, to, to heal your pains, and to hear your prayers, it's nothing short of incredible. In other words, listen to this, the wisdom of this God-man transcends all human wisdom. He doesn't need my advice. God doesn't need your suggestions. God doesn't Google, what should I do next? Hey, Siri, God doesn't need that. Why? Because he is a wonderful counselor. And as our wonderful counselor, his judgments and his ways are beyond our comprehension. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor, Paul asks in Romans chapter 11. It's a rhetorical question. Who has? Nobody has. He doesn't need anybody to offer advice to him. And yet, and yet, He lets us know him through the Bible and through creation and through other people who are made in God's image like you and me and some who are trying to be more like him. People like our counseling team here at Sailorville for hours and hours every week, men and women pour out their hurts and their questions and their struggles to our team of counselors. And listen, lives are being changed, relationships are being restored, addictions are being overcome every single week. Why? Not because of the words of our human counselors. Catch this. Not because of their opinions, advice, or suggestions, but because each and every one of them open up the Bible and point people to the counselor, the wonderful counselor. And in any situation, in every challenge, he knows exactly what needs to be done. His plan of action is infallible, his will is perfect, and his direction is trustworthy. If you're looking for guidance in life, which is all of us, let me introduce you to a wonder of a counselor. His name is Jesus. Will you Follow him. Will you follow him? Not just this Christmas, but always. Will you follow this wonderful counselor? It goes on. His name is Mighty God. His name is Mighty God. Isaiah announces that this baby will be called Mighty God. Literally the heroic king. He's better than Superman. He's better than Batman. He's even better than the Black Panther. That's how heroic he is. There's nothing he can't do. 
No enemy he can't defeat. No evil he can't stop. And no problem that he can't handle. He's the mighty God. This God who became man has the power to carry out to the fullest everything his brilliant plans call for. Later on in Isaiah chapter 46, we confirm this when we read, My plans will take place, God says, and I will do all of my will. If I planned it, it's going to happen. If I say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. If this year's revealed anything about us as humans, it's that what's inside of us comes out when we're under pressure, right? It's the toothpaste illustration. So this morning, hopefully you brushed your teeth. If you're watching online, it's cool if you didn't. (laughs) When you get squeezed, what's inside comes out, right? So what comes out when you're under pressure, when you get squeezed? Do you get angry? Do you run to an addiction? Do you mope around the house? Do you go to Fleet Farm like I do? (laughs) Meredith says women go to car washes. Guys go to Fleet Farm. Do you pray when you're under pressure? Do you dig into the Bible? Do you sing? Take a walk with the Lord? Where do you turn when things get tough? When your marriage is falling apart, where do you go? When the finances are drying up, who do you trust? When things are going wrong, who do you fall back on? Listen, friends, you can depend on Jesus, the mighty God, against impossible odds. Nothing will ever defeat him. Nothing can ever destroy him. And no problem you ever face will surprise him. I'm going to say that again because we need that this morning. I need it in my heart. Nothing will ever defeat him. Nothing can ever destroy him. And no problem you ever have will ever surprise him. He is the mighty God. Oh my goodness. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? And his name is Everlasting Father. Are you with me? His name is Everlasting Father. He's a forever father. Have you ever thought about Jesus as your dad? Of course, in the Trinity, Jesus is the Son of God, and yet to us, he can be like a father. In this way, he's our protector. He's our provider, our comfort, our leader, our guide. Like a father, maybe you've had this, a father takes the hand of his child in the darkness and guides his child so Jesus cares for us with an everlasting kind of compassion. I love that. The psalmist in Psalm 103 said it this way, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I need the compassion of Christ in my life. I need it. I'm so glad I have that. He's the wonderful counselor. Will you follow him? He's the mighty God. Will you trust him? And he is the everlasting father. This Christmas season, will you rest in him? Friends, Christmas can be chaos. Christmas can be chaotic and crazy. Will you rest in Christ this Christmas? He is our breath. He is our Sabbath. He is our rest experience that kind of relationship with him this Christmas. And finally, in our passage this morning, he's the Prince of Peace. Catch this. This child, promised by God, prophesied by Isaiah, is called the Prince 
of peace. And 700 years later, the angels outside of Bethlehem would confirm it when they sang to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest, and say it with me, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Glory to God and peace to mankind. Think about this. Jesus' birth, we celebrated at Christmas. It came with two major purposes. One, to bring glory to God And two, by bringing peace to mankind. Those two purposes can't be separated, not in the broader sense of the world overall in mankind, but also in the personal sense of my life and of your life. You and I will never experience true peace until we surrender completely to God. I'll say it slower so you can write it down. You and I will never experience true peace unless we surrender completely to God. Maybe you've been reading our Advent devotional that we handed out here a little bit ago by John Piper this season. In it, Piper says this, an amazing statement. God's purpose is not to give you peace separate from himself. His purpose is to give you peace by being the most glorious person in your life. That's cool, right? In other words, if you're looking for true joy or real hope, or lasting peace this Christmas, and you're searching for it in something or someone other than Jesus, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Those great expectations that you have for this season, they won't ever be totally fulfilled by the perfect family Christmas, or by the gift that you asked for, or even the thing that you've been waiting for now for years. Could it be? It can. That God has allowed the frustration that God has allowed the confusion, and God has maybe even allowed the discouragement in your life personally this year to show you that there's nothing and nobody on this earth that will ever fulfill you like Jesus can. Could it be that God has allowed all of that in your life to show you that there's nothing and nobody on this earth that will ever fulfill you like Jesus? Yes. Believe that's true. Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus personally. Maybe you're here in this room, and you're glad to be here, and we're glad to have you here. Maybe you're watching online either this morning or a little bit later. We're glad to have you do that as well. But maybe you're listening, and you have not accepted Christ personally as your Savior. Today, accept him the way he was given, as a gift from God himself. Admit your sins. You need a Savior. Believe in Jesus' birth. Yes, we celebrate it at Christmas. The world does. But are you celebrating it in your life? Admit that you need him, his birth, his life, his death, and yes, ultimately, his resurrection, and invite that peace into your life this Christmas. And always, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Will you surrender to him? Will you surrender to him? Isaiah saw him coming. The one who would be God's answer for sinners like you and me. He saw Jesus, the wonderful counselor. He came with wisdom and with purpose and with a perfect plan. Will you follow him? Isaiah saw him. He saw the mighty God, the great hero, the rescuer, the one who couldn't be defeated by discouragement or death or even the devil himself. Will you trust him? And as everlasting Father, he loves us endlessly. His compassion and his care for you won't ever end. Will you rest in him this Christmas? 
And as the Prince of Peace, I love this, he reconciles us, buys us back, restores that relationship with us while we are still his enemies. Will you surrender your heart, your life? And as we say here sometimes at Sailorville, worship is surrendering every single moment. Will you surrender to him? Friends, I give you the fulfillment of your greatest expectations. The one who will never disappoint the one who will never leave you or forsake you, the one who is himself joy, hope, and peace. His name is Jesus. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. He is. Is he yours? Make him yours this Christmas. The fulfillment of your greatest expectations is Jesus. Lord, thank you for giving us Jesus. I pray, God, that we would chase the fulfillment in Jesus as the reward of our greatest expectations. You've given him to us. Thank you, Lord. I pray that we would not rest in things in other relationships, that we would not find peace in what's under the tree, that we would not find lasting hope in what our family or friends offers us this season, but that we would trust you, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Thank you, God, for sending your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.